Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, this is Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City. That's right, we're in the hottest of all spots, the epicenter of the coronavirus, COVID-19, and I don't want to talk about that today. We're going to have to talk about it a little bit, but I don't want to talk about that because, man, that's all you hear everywhere you go, and I don't want to be one of those guys that contributes to that. I try to keep it based on the facts or use the facts to give you my opinion on those facts. Speaking of facts, it's critically important now more than ever that you check out JustFacts.com. That's JustFacts.com. Why? Well, because I think Just Facts is really the type of place you want to go to to get the facts. You come up with your own spin. You could listen to mine or anybody else's, but you'll have a chance to make up your own mind based on primary source data. JustFactsFACTS.com slash Rich. That's my name. And you can sign up for free. Now, today's been a really busy day right here in New York City. There were 13 coronavirus deaths in Elmhurst Hospital. God be with them and their families. Some early reports were suggesting that they may be running out of space in the hospital's morgue and that they might actually be bringing in refrigerated morgue trucks to keep the dead bodies on ice. Now, we're not quite there yet, but this is what the doom and gloom, as uh, my buddies Bernie and Sid say, slit your wrist media, want you to believe. It's what they want you to hear. But the reality is this is a very serious situation, and we've got to take a look at things. And one of the things I think we should take a look at is why our favorite congresswoman from New York, the 14th District, from the Bronx, from Queens, AOC, all out crazy, why is it that in her entire tenure in Congress, going on two years, why is it that AOC never did anything to meet the need of the hospitals in her district? Why is it that AOC never promoted a bill that would support hospitals being fully stocked on personal protective equipment, PPE, like masks and gowns? Why is it that AOC didn't step up to help the hospitals right in her own district? Why is it that AOC right now is sending tweets saying that the stimulus package is being cut from the taxes or cut off of the backs of taxpaying immigrants? Now, of course, she's trying to be provocative. She's trying to be controversial. She's trying to have a play on words and have it both ways. There are plenty of immigrants in this country, and nobody's ever making a case against them saying we don't want immigrants. People are making a case against illegal immigration. People are making a case against 
coming into the country the wrong way and doing the wrong thing. And I think AOC is well aware of that, but she wants to conflate the situation. Paint this as a corporate bailout for $4 trillion and $1,200 going towards taxpayers. The only area that I think I agree with AOC on is we should really be in the business of bailing out corporations. The government shouldn't be in the business of taking over private industry, owning private industry, having an equity stake in private industry. Nope, nope, and nope, I'll pass. That's just not for me. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for the government to be in that business. Government hasn't gotten anything right yet. The last thing we need to do is hand over successful businesses to them. I think a better model is the one that Trump is taking, where he's being pressured to nationalize industries by de Blasio. He's being pressured to use the Defense Production Act. But instead, he keeps coming back, keeps pushing back, saying, these companies are doing what they have to do. They're ramping up production. Mike Lindell, who you've heard on this program several times, we've had him as a guest in studio. He's the CEO of MyPillow. He's manufacturing surgical masks, changing around his production line to do that, to help frontline workers in the medical field, to protect our healthcare workers. Here's a guy who's never been elected to office for anything, but he's got the means and he's going to do it, and God bless him for it. Mike Lindell, you're a patriot. Thank you, my friend. But AOC, nada, 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 not a damn thing. But going back to private industry, according to the Cuba Studies Institute, Bacardi, the rum company, joins the anti-coronavirus struggle. The Bacardi Rum Company, one of the largest rum producers, has tweaked its production lines to pump out the ethanol that's needed to make hand sanitizer. The Olane Refinery Company, a Puerto Rican manufacturer, is using the Bacardi alcohol to produce more than 1.7 million bottles of hand sanitizer, much of which is being donated to police, nurses, and nonprofits that are on the forefront of fighting the coronavirus. Kudos to Bacardi, the rum company in Puerto Rico. Good for them for doing the right thing. And that's the point that I'm making. Private industry, when unleashed, can do miraculous things. We don't need the government every single time. I have to say I'm incredibly impressed with how President Trump has leveraged the government's ability to mobilize and the logistics they have and obviously the power that they have with the agility, innovation, and forward-thinkingness of the private sector. To think that Bacardi, the Bacardi Rum Company, started by a Cuban family that went to Puerto Rico and still operates out of Puerto Rico, which has a 127-acre complex in Cataño, Puerto Rico, and produces 80% of the company's rum. This is You're talking about 200 million bottles of rum per year and employs hundreds of people. Is going to produce nearly 2 million bottles of hand sanitizer. But they're not alone. The Bacardi factory in Jacksonville, Florida is going to produce 120,000 units of hand sanitizer this week. All of it to be donated. And eight other plants in six other countries will also be contributing. Now, of course, Bacardi is not new to donating during times of crisis. 
In 2017, they donated $3 million to Hurricane Maria Relief. Now, this temporary production shift began on March 17th and will continue as long as it's needed. It won't affect their rum production, and the company's happy to do it. So again, I applaud Bacardi, Bacardi, 151, the family, the company, all involved. That's truly the American dream. You leave your communist country, you come to America, you make it here, and you do well and you give back. That's what it's all about. That is America. I'm Rich Valdez. Keep it locked right here. We'll be right back. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America. Okay, New York City was still here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. Welcome back, America. I am Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on Twitter, Rich Valdez with an S. You can check out our website, at richvaldez.com. If you have something negative to say, tweet at Rich Cementa with an S. <laughs> and it's surreal sometimes getting off of public transportation and looking around and seeing the city that never sleeps somehow in a slumber. Everybody's working from home, less and less people unless they're essential employees like me. Essential. Did I mention I was essential? Anyway, I can tell you there's somebody out there that isn't asleep, that isn't working from home, that's also essential, and that's the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr. Today, William Barr made some comments. That's right. Barr's comments came as a surprise to many because nobody was expecting that he would announce that the illegitimate Venezuelan president, Nicolás Maduro, the dictator from socialist Venezuela, would be indicted by the United States government for being a narco-terrorist and laundering money in New York City. But that's exactly what happened. Attorney General Barr today announced that Nicolás Maduro is a wanted man and there is a $15 million reward or bounty on his head. Well, would you look at that? While everybody's not running around, while everybody's at home, these 15 indictments were unsealed today by the federal government. One less warlord, one less dictator, one less socialist to worry about. It's true that the Trump administration has had such a dramatic impact on so many bad actors around the world. From al-Baghdadi to Soleimani to now Nicolás Maduro, while he's not dead, he will soon be out of power. And their rightful president, who's won an election, Juan Guaido, can take his position and lead the country into a safer, more promising future. The world is watching how America responds to criminals, to narco-terrorist regimes like Nicolás Maduro's regime in Venezuela. They can do what they want in their country, but once you bring it our way, be prepared to deal with the consequences. 
Speaking of consequences, I'm looking at today's Wall Street Journal because someone brought to my attention an article titled, Infection Rates Slow in One-Time Epicenter. And this is in the Greater New York section of today's Wall Street Journal. So if you're hearing this tomorrow, it's yesterday's Wall Street Journal, (laughs) but it's Thursday, March 26, 2020. Cases statewide rise, but New Rochelle trends suggest that measures are helping, according to Governor Cuomo. As the number of coronavirus cases in New York continues to climb, Governor Andrew Cuomo said on Wednesday that the rate of infections in the state's initial hot zone has slowed down. That's good news. The evidence suggests that density control measures may be working. Now, another article that appears in the Wall Street Journal again today has to do with patients that may have been exposed to people that have tested positive for the coronavirus inside of a nursing home being transferred to other hospitals and nursing homes. Now, this one is really, really not smart. If you're going to take someone in a nursing home, you're going to move a 78-year-old patient, a person that already, by definition, has a compromised immune system, and you're going to move this person to another hospital because they have not been tested and they've been exposed to someone that has tested positive. So we don't know if they have it or not, but there's potential for them to have it. And moving them, saying that we're moving them for their own safety, but in effect, compromising the safety of, of the people that are in the place you're moving them to. And this is what's happening. And this was brought to my attention by a medical director for a nursing home in New Rochelle, New York, in Westchester County, in the epicenter, the hottest of all hotspots of the coronavirus. She called into the Mark Levin show and had a lot of interesting things to say, namely that they can't get in touch with the governor's office or even with county officials, not even through her professional association, the New York Medical Directors Association, because she's the medical director at a nursing home in New Rochelle. Elaine, New Rochelle, New York, the great WABC, go. Now that's the EPA of epicenters. Go ahead. Yes, hello. Thank you very much for taking Mm -hmm. my call. Um, I wanted to bring to your attention and the listener's attention uh, what is about to happen in New York uh, with respect to nursing homes. And uh, the governor has ordered that all nursing homes must accept uh, COVID-positive patients that are actually uh, potentially still infectious into, um, into their facilities. And this will um, put our residents, our long-term care population. Wait, 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 wait. Are, you, is this, are you pulling my leg seriously? No. Why would you send somebody who has this virus into a population that can kill people? Thank you. No, no. Are well, you serious? I'm, I'm, I am serious. Well why, well, why would he order this? I don't, it doesn't make any sense. Memo. Well, because, because the hospitals, well, first of all, in, you know, I, I will uh, point out that nursing homes are in the habit of accepting patients from hospitals to continue their care after their... They may be in the habit, but they must realize now that the most vulnerable people among us are senior citizens. And nursing homes, these are people that have issues. And so I'm trying to understand the point of this. What is the point of this? I'm looking at a directive from Andrew Cuomo and Howard Zucker dated March 25th that is ordering nursing homes 
It says nursing homes must comply with the expedited receipt of residents from hospitals. They are deemed appropriate to go into the nursing homes by the hospitals, and we cannot discriminate based on the presence of COVID. And that's it. And that's how he's been managing this crisis. He has been dictating. He's been sending out memorandum and orders and executive orders, and there has been no coordination uh, on the ground level. Here I'm speaking from Westchester and New Rochelle. Just uh, we, we had the first COVID positive right. case in New York, and uh, we were uh, for a time the epicenter. And now, of course, it's shifted a little south of us. But um, basically, as you know, the hospitals are overwhelmed. They want to discharge patients somewhere else so they can take in new patients. And um, that's what the governor has ordered. Now, our um, National Association of Nursing Home Medical Directors, uh, when I sent this memorandum uh, to them, uh, has issued a statement saying that this is extremely dangerous, unsafe, that it will increase the risk of transmission in nursing homes. And we all learned from Washington how catastrophic that is. Um, it will uh, destabilize the facilities, uh, potentially increase the flow back into hospitals, overwhelm capacity, endanger healthcare personnel, and escalate the death rate. So, um, but you can't get through to anybody down here. Uh, you can't you can't talk to anybody. We don't we don't have support. There's nobody coordinating the response at this level, at, at certainly at the county level. And I know from my prior. Have, life, have you have you given this information to local media? That's why I'm calling you. But I'm not local and media. Yes. Have you given yes. this inform? Hold on now. To information, these reporters show up at these press events uh, where Cuomo does these, uh, you know kind of dance song and dance moves there always demanding that somebody else do something else this needs to be in the hands of a reporter who is at that conference in albany and reads it to him and asks him how he can explain this yeah that's a good idea i mean it's not my line of work but i got it to uh we got this information to the wall street journal who published uh something today so that's the first thing, the uh, first time we've got it out to the media. And, you know, it's not what we generally so, do. So in other words, it's available for all these cable stars and all these uh, reporters at the uh, New York Daily News and the New York Times and the rest of them. They know it's out there. Well, if they read that article, I don't know who else picked up on the story. We, we got it. It was published today in the Wall Street Journal, one article. So um, now, now our executive um, organization, the executive director, in, this afternoon issued the statement, uh, you know, stating that our organization was against this. If if we wanted to find that, do you know what, where would we go to find the link? I can send it to you, but it's uh, it's the American Medical Directors Association. It has a uh, a longer. Um, name that I'll give you in a moment, and I'm sure it's on its website. You might have to be a member to get it, but we we can get it to you uh, through our executive director. Um, the, it's the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Just, just go on my Facebook site and post it. Post the link. Okay. All right. Mark Levin yes. Show Facebook or Mark Levin Show Twitter, either one. Yes. And then the, and then the and whole we'll, country can look at it and draw conclusions from it. 
Ed. And I just want to say, if I could, you know, nursing homes and, the, and people that work at nursing homes are, are such a dedicated group of professionals. Oh, yes. yes. And, and we really want to help. But So you're a have, doctor. I'm a medical director. I'm a physician medical and director. medical director. I'm okay. both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm an administrative medical director plus a, you know, a clinician. Okay. And um, our, our home is a wonderful facility. But, you know, it's, it's, it's going to affect all area nursing homes any minute now. Well, and, if, this is, if this is right, this is exactly the wrong thing that, you're, that he's doing. Yeah, I mean, understand, and he's, he's backed himself into a corner here. And, and all of this should have been planned out, as I believe you. Uh, you I've talked about it over and over and over again, that, look, you can never be fully prepared for these things, but you could be better prepared. <clears throat> and since these things are really, the states want to control their hospitals, their beds, their ventilators, their MRIs, their CTs, their uh, medical institutions, and so forth, and they do. And so the question is, he's been there some time now, why didn't he at least prioritize uh, health services in case there's a pandemic? He was aware of it. There's been reports put out that New York is uh, sorely unprepared. He's had opportunities to, uh, to order significantly more beds and ventilators over the years, but he hasn't done it. He hasn't. Not only that, he's closed. I mean, in my neighborhood. And you're telling me you can't even get to him. Oh, we can't get to anybody. You can't get to anybody. There's supposed to be somebody at the county level. But wait a minute. He keeps putting out phone numbers and websites during his press conferences. You are the medical director of a nursing home. This order goes out, and you can't reach anybody. You can't reach anybody. And, and not only that, there's supposed to be someone at the county level that's mm-hmm. coordinating. Let's say, I mean, I, it is not a good I only idea. have 30 seconds. All right. Uh, there's no coordination of the response here in Westchester. It's just a series of directives. He's behaving like a dictator. Uh, executive directors, orders. For well, he department. wanted Trump to nationalize businesses. So the question here really, really, really becomes, is Governor Cuomo getting bad advice? Is someone ill advising him on purpose or are they just nervous and giving out bad advice because they just haven't been through this before and they're not sure how to respond because of the pressure that's on them. I don't know. What I do know is that moving people that may be potentially infected from the most vulnerable population of people that we have in America and putting them in a different facility with more old people, more senior citizens, more people that they can potentially infect can be catastrophic. This is what we saw just yesterday. Headlines coming out of New Jersey from a nursing home named St. Joseph's, where nearly every patient is presumed to now have the coronavirus, COVID-19. Or the other nursing home out in the Midwest where they had 35 deaths because they weren't able to contain this infection. Their infection control measures didn't measure up, no pun intended. This is serious stuff. I'm all for me coming to work every day and you going to work every day if you're old enough to have an immune system that isn't compromised. And if you're 26 and you just fought cancer and you, you're on your last round of chemo and you know you have a weak immune system, then you probably should also be self-quarantining. But otherwise, healthy people should be able to work. And we should not be putting people that are in their retirement in their golden years in harm's way. 
Now, I don't want to completely fault Governor Cuomo on this because this is coming on the heels of, like I said, some 94 patients, and I don't have the article in front of me, so if I'm off by a number or two, forgive me. But I believe the number was 94 patients in the St. Joseph's Nursing Home in New Jersey are believed to all be positive for coronavirus. So if I was governor of the state next door, I too would say, well, then let's, let's protect our seniors and let's make a move here. People older than this age or that age, we need to make a move. I get it. I just don't know, again, if the action that he's taking is the appropriate one. And totally ignoring medical directors for these facilities is even worse. The old saying that sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees comes to mind. We have to make sure that we can see the forest through the trees when we're leading others. If you're a parent and you have to do something for your child, you have to see the forest through the trees. There's no time for you to get frantic and frazzled and fearful. You have to take action. You have to do your job. When you're the governor, there's no time to sit there and facepalm in disbelief. Those days are over. You can apologize all you want for not taking action when you had reports on your desk that you didn't have enough hospital beds, you didn't have enough ICU beds, you didn't have enough staff, because that's really the issue here. I think too often people hear, oh, they don't have enough beds. It's not really about a bed. A bed is the least, there's hotels everywhere. It's not about beds. They're not running short on space. When they talk about a bed, you're talking about an ICU bed. An ICU bed is not some sort of special bed. What it is is intensive care. It's not an intensive care bed. It's an intensive care unit provided by nurses trained in critical care. Nurses who know how to wean a patient off of a ventilator. Nurses that understand how intensive care is provided. Nurses that do 15-minute checks on their patients instead of uh, hourly checks. It's a different thing. It's ICU. So when they're talking about a shortage of beds, they're talking about a shortage of nurses, a shortage of critical care doctors, intensivists, people that can offer a level of critical care that's not available on a regular floor, that's not available in the emergency room. And I've seen this firsthand with my dad. My dad had a pneumonia several times, but he had one in particular that started off with a hypoxic episode where he just stopped breathing without any real lung disease or anything like that. He just stopped breathing. They needed to, in the emergency room, intubate him immediately so that he could start breathing again. And he didn't start breathing on his own very quickly. So they had to put him on a ventilator. And he was on that ventilator for somewhere between 15 and 21 days and was in ICU as a whole for a month. It was a very serious time. And I get it. I met many an ICU nurse. So I'm not trying to get morbid or make this a very dark episode. But what I am trying to make the distinction is that when you hear that there's a shortage of beds, it's not a shortage of beds. It's a shortage of nurses that are trained in this area. Two separate nurses working 12-hour shifts to cover 24 hours for that one patient. ICU nurses typically have, I don't know, five patients max. Not like nurses on a regular floor that may have more because they have more intervals where they can see the patients in between and they're bigger teams. ICUs are usually very small groups of people that provide literally intensive care. 
So they focus on less patients. Sometimes they have two patients. This is why you're hearing that they, they can't meet the demand because ICUs are not huge. You don't have 30, 40 bed ICUs in most places. You're talking 10 beds, 12 beds with five or six nurses dealing with all of those patients if they're at capacity with an intensivist assigned to those people with other doctors consulting on different ailments. So I get it when they talk about these hospital ships that President Trump is sending. These are coming fully staffed. It's not just an empty boat with a bunch of beds and ventilators and whatnot. These are people that know how to use ventilators and know how to wean somebody off of a ventilator that knows how to check that has a respiratory tech coming in or a pulmonologist coming in to make sure that those lungs are working on their own as they continue to wean them off from the ventilated breathing to their own breathing so they can go and continue to build up their lung capacity and recovery for a 70-year-old person with pneumonia, a severe pneumonia, you're looking at 90-day recovery because of muscle atrophy, because of so many different things. So if this coronavirus is more intense than a severe pneumonia, it makes sense why people with compromised immune systems in their 70s and 80s and 90s are succumbing to the illness because it's too severe. This is why we need the additional staff, the additional ventilators. But it would be a mistake to say that you need all of these additions at the same time. Thus far, I don't know that we have enough evidence to say we're going to have all of these people sick at the same time. I don't know that everybody's making this case that right now we're at or over capacity. I think some places are, some places aren't, and we need to be very strategic with the use of staff. So again, to put a pin in that, when we talk about not having enough beds, it's not an issue of actual beds. It's an issue of staff and staff that's trained. Keep it locked right there. This is Rich Valdez. You're listening to This Is America. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. And before we go, I wanted to leave you with a couple of thoughts. As I scroll through my Twitter, at Rich Valdez on Twitter, at Rich Valdez with an S, I get a lot of support from a lot of people on Facebook, on Twitter, even on Instagram. And I appreciate it because without you, we could not do this. Without you leaving the five-star ratings, without you sharing this content with your friends and your network, we wouldn't be able to do it. doesn't matter if you have five friends or 5,000 friends, 10 followers or 10,000 followers. Every time you share and retweet and send this to someone through their inbox because you think the content that we're discussing here is something they can benefit from, adds new subscribers to the show. And it's you that makes a difference. It's because of you. We, we're now getting tens of thousands of downloads. So for that, I thank each and every one of you that's listening. And I encourage you to continue sharing, continue doing whatever it is that you do to promote the program and get it out there and share it with people. Because while I'm honored and humbled, if it's something that you think can help people to be more informed more prepared and more confident in engaging in society, engaging in the political process and the public discourse, then amen, keep doing it. And with that said, when I scroll, you know, I check in, I'm not the best tweeter. I'm somewhat of a reluctant tweeter, believe it or not. Sometimes I go on there and I see things like, 
a negative comment or something meant to disparage or something critical. For example, someone will say, Rich, you don't get it. You're just being used and once they don't need you anymore, they'll get rid of you. And I think to myself, (laughs) after I laugh, and I think, listen, I'm a capitalist. That's exactly how this works. I would do the same thing to them once I don't need them. Minus any personal loyalties, of course, to friends, family, business associates. But the reality here is nobody really does things for their health. We have a reason we do things, whether we believe in a cause or this is a financial endeavor or whatever it is. We do things because we have a reason to do them. So while somebody thinks I'm getting used, I've got news for you. I think we're all using each other for mutually beneficial reasons. That's like how employment works. That's how so many deals work. I trade my dollar for your item. If your item has more value than my dollar, then I now think, hey, my dollar isn't worth as much as your item, so I'm going to trade you my dollar for your item. That's literally the essence of capitalism. So call me a sellout or a vendido or a tío Tomás all you want because trying to attack my ethnicity because I dare to think differently than somebody else, isn't really a solid argument for me. I'm not confused. I don't think I'm anything other than what I am. I know who I am. I knew where I grew up. I knew what I aspired to be. I know where I am. The idea that someone wants to put me into a box, force me to think the way they want to think, is a slave idea that I'm not down with. But I am always taken aback when people say, you know what, he thinks he's white or he thinks he's this or I say, well, look, there's definitely some Spaniard running in my veins. After all, my last name ends with an S and our ancestry dates back to the Baltes Knights, B-A-L-T, like Tom, E-S. And those were knights that came out of England that migrated to Spain during the time of the Moors. And they stayed in Spain. They settled in Spain, building a castle, El Castillo Valdés, just outside of Asturias, and El Palacio Valdés, also outside of Asturias in Spain. But thank God I have a mirror. (laughs) And judging by my facial features, my nose, my mouth, I'm definitely not that white. My complexion, I'm sort of brown. So I definitely take after some of my dad's Taino roots. After all, they didn't call him El Negro for nothing. And that's the problem with brainwashed, non-thinking government slaves. Oftentimes, they've never owned a business. They've never owned a home. They've never ever created a job for another human being. They've always relied on someone else, whether it was the government, their government job, their employer. Their whole life, they never did for themselves. You combine that with a lack of critical thinking and voila, a recipe for leftism. Generations of Democrats that love the government instead of loving their liberty. So like I always say, make sure you stand for something because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for absolutely anything. And always remember, be courageous and do something because the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do absolutely nothing. Until the next time, America. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez, and you're listening to This Is America. This is America. Woodhouse. 
Powerhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com.